Hi, my name is Seth. This is The Foundry, where we are all about a better you and a better world. A couple things real quick. Um, we had our uh, virtual 5K last week, and it was, was cool, you know, people doing their thing. But I just wanted to give another shout out to those of you who participated in it. It's so awesome. To our sponsors who uh, helped out with that, the, uh, the Singh family, the Singh Family Dental, to the DeWilds and Florida Oral Surgery, to uh, Bill and Sue Easter with um, XMAT. We're so grateful to them, and Diana and Ryan Lowe, so very grateful. Um, because of them and because of your participation, we were able to raise like $3,000 to go to Grace Malnutrition Center in Haiti, which is really, really exciting. Uh, so I'm grateful for that, and if you participated in it, your shirts and medals and stuff are out there in the lobby. If, if you're at home and you don't live nearby and you need us to mail it to you, we will. So, um, oh, also, we had a really cool trunk or treat parade on Tuesday. It was really fun. We had a bunch of people show up, a bunch of people I didn't recognize or know, so just like people coming. Uh, and so a big shout out to, to Mitchell and Elise and their team for putting everything together. And then uh, to all the people who decorated vehicles. We had like 10, 10 or so different vehicles that like decorated and then they did like a loop, like a parade, and they were throwing candy and it was, it was awesome. They did two loops, so it was like... Way, way cool. Uh, and then we were able to be home by like 7.30, so it was like perfect. It was, it was great. So thank you to you guys who participated. Just awesome to see all these new people around. Uh, now, we are in week three of our sermon series called Think Happy Thoughts. And what we're, we're kind of doing is like, we just kind of have realized that, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes like there's not a lot of good stuff happening, <laughs> or it seems that way, or it feels like maybe even... Um, like, uh, it's just been a lot. 2020 has been a lot. And so this whole series is really about um, making sure that, like, we have something good to think about, which I thought was, like, super useful. You know, like, hey, let's, let's talk about something that will give us something positive to think about, so to think happy thoughts. Um, so this week's happy thought is really simple. It's that God is generous. God is generous. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. In fact, it may seem to be like even a bit lackluster. Like that's, that's it? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's what I want to talk about today. Because this is kind of, this is kind of important um, to talk about God's generosity. Because how you think of God, how you think of the nature of God as God being generous or believing that God is generous should actually have fairly profound effects on how you think of life and how you live this life, how you operate within the here and now. In fact, there's a great quote from uh, Albert Einstein uh, kind of talking about this. He says this, take a look at the screen here. Oh, don't look at this one, it's not working. Joe told you the thing went out. So here's the quote from Albert Einstein. Only two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. That's actually not the right one. That, that's not the one I wanted to use today. There's a different Albert Einstein quote that I wanted to use that's, that's actually pretty good too. Uh, take a look at this one. The most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. This is the first and most basic question all people must answer for themselves. This is the first and most basic question people must answer for themselves. 
Einstein seemed to think uh, and, and understand and know that how we understand the nature of the universe will shape how we, at the core of our being, understand it and interact with it and operate within it. It will shape our worldview. For most people, how we think of God and how we think of the universe and how we answer Albert Einstein's question is all, it's all kind of inter interconnected. How I think of the nature of God will shape my perception of the universe that I'm living in. And how I think of the nature of the universe will actually shape how I perceive my reality and then how I operate within it. In fact, Einstein's quote goes on for a little bit. He goes on to describe this uh, in, in more detail and like the effects of it. He describes like, well, if you see it as friendly or unfriendly or neither, this is the effects because how you think of these things affect how you live. So watch what he says. He says, for if we decide that the universe is an unfriendly place, then we will use our technology, our scientific discoveries, and our natural resources to achieve safety and power by creating bigger walls to keep out the unfriendliness and bigger weapons to destroy all that which is unfriendly. And I believe that we are getting to a place where technology is powerful enough that we may either completely isolate, what's the last line, I can't see it, or destroy ourselves as well in this process. Thank you. He continues, if we decide that the universe is neither friendly nor unfriendly, and that God is essentially playing dice with the universe, then we are simply victims to the random toss of the dice and our lives have no real meaning and purpose. But if we decide that the universe is a friendly place, then we will use our technology, our scientific discoveries, and our natural resources to create tools and models for understanding that universe. Because power and safety will come through understanding its workings and its motives. God does not play dice with the universe. God created the world, he created the universe to function, to operate a particular way, and the operational system of all that is speaks to the nature of who created it. And our perception of this, our perspective on this, will determine how we live in it. Now, Paul actually talks to this idea of like uh, how the world that is speaks to the nature of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says this, for since the creation of the divine, what is it? What? Let's start. I should pay attention to what <laughs> Don't carve the pumpkin, Seth. What are you trying to do? Uh, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been seen clearly from what has been, uh, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The nature, the divine nature of God has been clearly seen from what has been made. So what do we see and what can we understand about the nature of God based on what we see in creation? Now, if you start with just like the story of creation according to the Bible, 
There's a lot of things that you see within that story that reveal a lot about the nature of God. I want to show you a few of them. I want to talk about a few of them. In the story of creation, God begins to create, and he, he begins to create. He says, uh, verse uh, 3, he says, let there be light, uh, let there be sky and sea, let there be dry ground, let there be seed-bearing plants, let there be the sun and the moon and the stars. And so from the very beginning, God creates these things, and all these things, these things actually like are not just given to us, but they actually give other things to us. So you have the sun that gives us light. You have the rain that gives us sky, uh, the, uh, the sky that gives us rain. You have, you have the dry ground that gives us plants. You have everything that he gives actually continues to give, right? And, and you see, God is so generous in this world that everything he creates begins to also create. And if you keep going in that story, the first three days are days of forming the universe. Here's what it is. The second three days are days of filling the universe. Here's what we're putting in it. So then you get the sun, the moon, the stars. You get the fish and the birds. You get the animals and the humans. And even when, um, when there's this line that gets repeated when talking about the birds and the fish and the humans, and it says that, uh, it says, God, it says that God blessed them. And he says, now be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. So everything that God creates, he also gives the ability to create more of itself. Everything that he gives has the ability to also give. Hank, I need you to scroll down further. <laughs> In my notes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Just a little bit. Okay, okay. Go back down a little bit more. Down a little bit. That, no, no. Up a little bit. Yeah, okay. Too much. Go back. So God creates the plants and animals. He tells the, the humans, everything, be blessed. Create more of yourselves. Then he creates the, these plants. And the plants, he says, have the ability to bear seeds. And then he creates these trees that have fruits that have seeds in them for the sake of covering the earth and for the sake of giving us food. So all these things that he creates has the ability to create more of itself. Keep going, Hank, you're at the bottom. Keep going. Verse, uh, after he begins to create all this, he gets into creating humans. And how does he do this? Genesis 2, 7. The Lord, formed, uh, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So man becomes a living being when the, the, the dust, the, the earth, and the breath of God is fused together. This man, God gives to man not only uh, his life, but he gives him his breath. He gives him his spirit, and the spirit is the thing that is the animating force of our being. And then even beyond the life and breath that he gives to us, think about what he has given us within the body and what the body has the ability to do. Not only are we able to make more of ourselves in the little ones that we create, but the body itself is continually making more of itself. The majority of your being the large percentage of your body is almost entirely regenerated between seven and 10 years. That's, that's like an actual thing. Like skin cells rejuvenate every two to four weeks on, 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 on your body. Then you have your liver. Your liver that's like takes care of the toxins within your body. These regenerate every 150 to 500 some days. Then you have uh, uh, within, your, um, within your stomach lining, the stomach lining that contains the stomach acid that digests your food that you need to survive, those, those cells regenerate every five days. Even your bones are continually regenerating. It takes about 10 years to complete the overall process. But this whole thing that is you is continually making more 
of itself. It's this wild, fascinating thing. So God gives us this life. God gives us this spirit. He gives us this body that, is making, that has the ability to make other bodies and has the ability to make more of itself. You see, the nature of God is clearly seen from what has been made. And then God sees that Adam is lonely if you continue in the story of creation. And so what does God do? He creates somebody else. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. By the way, in the Hebrew text, that word like helper, suitable helper, uh, is literally translated as fit for. So God says, I will make one that is fit for him. This has to do with equality, not submission. Right? So he says, I see that man is alone, and he creates somebody that is fit for him. The animals were not fit for him. He created the woman so that they would have each other, so that they could care for each other, so that they could work together. So God gives humans other humans. The nature of God is clearly seen in what has been made. And then on top of all this, God takes all that he has created, all of creation, and he gives all of this to the responsibility and the care of mankind. He gives them what we call the original commission, to rule and subdue, to be fruitful and multiply, to care and work for the garden. God, God gives them the world, God gives them the garden, and he says, I want you to be responsible and take care of this whole thing. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. His divine nature has been clearly seen from what has been made. And what do we see just in the story of creation? We see that God creates and God gives things that give things. It's this like exponential growth in giving. God gives us his breath to animate and sustain us. God gives us these bodies that create more bodies and create more of ourselves. God gives us each other in which we can now experience the breath, the spirit of God in each other in this tangible form. Then God gives us this earth and then God gives us the responsibility and authority over the earth. What is clearly seen and understood from what God has made from the very, very beginning is that God is a generous God. From the very beginning, he just begins to give. God is generous. God is generous. God is generous. Now, let me give you a couple more examples. Uh, I started watching this uh, Netflix series. Uh, like a little documentary type thing uh, called My Octopus Teacher. Have you guys seen it? Yeah, it's, pre it's pretty wild. It's really interesting. Uh, super into it. Um, I'm, I'll, it's kind of going to have a spoiler alert so you can plug your ears if you feel like watching it. Basically, the premise is uh, this guy is going through some stuff and uh, he goes out into the ocean by his house and he discovers... This one's too big. I don't like this one. I'm going to cut my hand off and then... Like, let God grow that back. Um, <laughs> uh, so he discovers this octopus one day as he's swimming out in the ocean by his house. And then he's going through some stuff and he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like, uh, like spend time with this octopus. So he takes a year and he goes into the ocean every day for a year. And he films this thing, documents it. He spends time with it. He like gets to know it, interact with it. It's this really wild sort of thing. They like get, they become friends, kind of. 
So uh, he goes through this whole thing, and then here's the spoiler alert, so if you don't want to hear it, you can close your ears, but um, he essentially, the thing that happens to this female octopus at the end of the documentary is the thing that happens to most female octopuses in the wild. At the end of a year, uh, that's, that's about the entirety of their lifespan. So what happens is, towards the end of a year, they, uh, they go mate, and then uh, they go find a cave in which to lay their eggs. It's called a clutch of eggs. And so once they lay the clutch of eggs, and they, they slowly begin to die. They no longer eat, and then their whole job is really just to protect their babies that they've just laid, and then they give the last, essentially, week of their life to protecting their babies, and then they die, and then about the time they die, like hundreds, sometimes thousands of these new baby octopuses are released into the wild. So you get to the end of this thing, this documentary, and it's a sad but kind of beautiful picture of a mother giving her life, giving herself for the lives of her children. The mother gives her life, her life so that the lives of her children may go on. His divine nature is seen clearly from what has been made. What we see in something like the octopus and what has been made is this picture of this self-sacrificing generosity that I will go to the extent of giving the entirety of myself so that new life may be given out of it. I was reading about elephants this week, because, you know, why not? Um, and this, this, I came across a couple of really interesting stories about how um, caring and loving and generous elephants are. I didn't know this was a, a thing, but there was one lady, she was a biologist, and she was talking about, um, like, her whole job is observing elephants in the wild. And so she has all these observation stands set up, and they said, uh, one time this little calf, this baby elephant calf, got sick. And it was by the op one of their observation towers, and then the baby calf died um, for whatever reason. And she said, over the course of that day, and then the following day, uh, like two, or two, two days or so, about 100 elephants had passed by this dead baby calf. And she said it was fascinating because 100% of the 100 elephants acknowledged in some way, shape, or form the dead calf. She said some of them would come up and they would put their trunk on it and like try to nudge it or rub it or like get it to wake up or something. She said there was one um, adolescent male that came up and at one setting, he kept trying to um, take his tusks and lift the body of the calf up to try to get it to stand. And the lifeless body just kept falling to the ground. She said uh, he did this something like 57 times trying to wake this elephant up. And then she said, not only did he do that, but he left and then came back to check on it like five different times over the course of the day. Like, what? That's wild, right? Like, how? Uh, there was another story about the elephants. This guy, he was a rancher, and he got into an accidental uh, uh, confrontation with, a, with a, like a family of elephants, and uh, one of them stepped on him and broke his leg. And so he said the, the mother elephant sent all the rest of the elephants on, and then she stayed with him, and then she took her trunk and her front foot and very gently tried to lift him and move him several feet away to prop him up under a shade tree to give him something to lean on and rest on. And then he said he sat there, and she stayed with him through the rest of that day. 
through the middle of the night and on into the next day until he was finally rescued. And he said it was almost like she knew that he was in pain and she was trying to protect him. He said that when animals uh, started to like show up in the middle of the night, um, she would chase them off and then come back. And he said sometimes she would place her trunk on his body and on his head as if to comfort. Like what a wild world. The divine nature can be clearly seen and understood from what has been made. I was watching this other documentary. Holy geez, Seth, get a life. Do you do anything else with yourself? <laughs> uh, I was watching this other documentary, fascinating documentary, uh, called uh, Connected. Have you seen this? You heard this one? Oh, man, it's brilliant. Uh, it's got like six episodes, so I'm not going to ruin anything for you. But there's one whole episode on um, dust, which sounds like boring, but it was brilliant. It was the most fun. The whole, the whole premise of the documentary is about how the whole earth and yourself and what we eat and do and how, how everything's connected. Obviously, the name's connected. Um, it's just, I'm just overwhelmed with how incredible this place is that we live on that we call earth. Um, so the one with the dust, they started in um, the Sahara Desert. And they go there, and they're, they're talking about all these, uh, you know, like the big dust storms that come off the coast of Africa. Uh, and, and so they're showing where these all come from. And then the premise of the show, or of that particular episode, was they basically follow the dust from the Sahara around the world, and then they see the effects of it. The part of it that really stood out to me that I thought was crazy was that um, this dust comes off, these huge dust clouds, comes off the coast of Africa, and then uh, a, ton, a ton of it, literally, literally 27 million tons of it, makes its way 1,600 miles around the globe to the Amazon rainforest. Now, what's fascinating about it is that we think of the Amazon rainforest as being this, like, super rich, life-giving place, a place of abundance. It's got, um, you know, like, it's, it's known for, like, its biodiversity, plants and animals and all this stuff. But the, the Amazon rainforest has this, like, little dark secret, and that is that it ultimately um, is a fairly nutrient-devoid place, because of, it's the rainforest, and so they get massive amounts of rainfall. And then what you see with the massive amounts of rainfall is that all of the nutrients for the rainforest that it would typically need, about 80% of it, they said, gets washed away. So what happens is these giant dust storms come off the coast of Africa out of the Sahara Desert, and then they end up essentially feeding and sustaining the Amazon rainforest. So one of the most like seemingly dead places on the planet actually serves to give life to one of the most abundant, life-giving, biodiverse places on the planet. Like how wild is that? It's almost like even the earth is giving itself to the earth. It's so incredible how this all works. It's almost like God does not play dice with the universe. It's almost like generosity is built into the fabric of creation, which might make sense if you think of the generosity of the creator. His divine nature can be seen and understood from what has been made. And what we see in his creation is this incredible, 
incredible amount of generosity in all kinds of various forms. I should have scraped it before I cut it. That would have been a better idea. Party foul. Now, uh, I want to show you a couple verses from the Bible, and I want you to keep everything in mind that we've just talked about, about how God is generous, about how he gives things that gives things, about his divine nature can be seen from what has been made, how, and how we understand the nature of God shapes how we understand the nature of the universe, and how we understand the nature of the universe shapes how we think and interact with it. So, Luke chapter 12 Verse 24, I'm going to go through a few quickly. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Creation doesn't worry or fret about provision. They live in the reality of a generous creation and a generous God. And you are more valuable than birds, and they get taken care of. First Timothy 6, 17. Uh, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So Paul says, uh, God richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment. And then he says, since God is generous, you should also be generous. Also, not, on, not only is God generous, but he has provided these things for your enjoyment. He's provided these things for you to enjoy. Is your perspective on life and the universe is that it was created for you to enjoy and experience? Think again about even just how your body functions. You have like thousands of taste buds on your tongue that allow you to taste and experience different kinds of food, and most of us really like food. Or you have these nerve endings you know, in your fingertips and stuff that allows you to text, touch, texture, feel. You have this olfactory sense that allows you to smell, take in the good, sometimes not so good. But all of how you've been created allows you to experience the world that God created for you to experience. You know, sometimes I get the impression that for some Christians, this life is really just about like making it through the slog. As if like being a real stick in the mud is a way to bring glory and honor to God. Paul says, no, no, no. Like don't you see, don't you understand this? God gives generously for your enjoyment. God is generous. Appreciate and enjoy the experience of life that you have been given. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks you for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I love, love this passage. God is generous. The heavenly Father is generous. If you, as a flawed person and parent, know how to give that which is good to your children, then of course, 
Of course your heavenly Father will give good gifts. Of course, when God creates and gives the universe, the thing that shows us clearly his nature, of course that thing is going to be good and giving. Do you think God, do you think your heavenly Father is going to hand you a snake? What about this one, this next one? Uh, this one usually gets used in light of trying to get church people to put money into plates as they're passed. This is, this, this is one of the ones that we use for offering talks a lot of times. But what if we can read this for a second without connecting it to any offering talks we've ever heard and just read it through the lens of the generosity of God? What if we can just read it through this lens of God who created things that give things? He gave us things that give things. Maybe this will help us to see this in a new light. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, yeah, because this is how the universe works. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, of course he does, because God is generous, and you are essentially made in his image. So, yeah. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, all things, in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And it is written, they, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Yeah. Yeah. God is generous so that you can be generous, so that your generosity will reveal the generous nature of the God who created all of it. James 1.16, do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God is generous and gives good gifts. God has given that which is good. Well, what else does the scripture tell us that God has given us that we know that is good? Back in the story of creation, Everything he creates, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he gets to the end of it, and he says, he says he surveys the whole thing, and he says, it's very good. The whole thing that has been given from the very beginning is this good and perfect gift. Because the one who created it is good and perfect. The one who created all of it is generous and giving and loving. What was that Einstein quote again? The most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or hostile universe. This is the first and most basic question all mu people must answer for themselves. Because this will determine how we interact with and perceive the world that we live in. God's nature can be clearly seen from what has been made. What it looks like to me is that the universe is not a hostile place. 
The universe looks to me to be this friendly, generous place because the God who created it all is loving and generous. Oh, and by the way, as we're talking about this God who gives things that gives things, in the middle of all that giving at the story of creation, before God gives to you your breath, before God gives to us his spirit, it says that man was created in his image and likeness. You have been created in the image and likeness of God, which means you are created in the image and likeness of the one who gives things, who gives things. You have been created in the image and the likeness of generosity. Maybe this is why later on in the New Testament, Jesus says it is better to give than to receive because you are made in the image of generosity. And when you are generous in giving, you are stepping into God's intended reality for your being. Maybe this is also why there's been all these like studies like in the realm of science about the effects of giving on us. And so much of it all points to this idea that when we are generous, there are these physiolog physiological things that happen within our being. They say that when you give or when you, when you participate in generosity, that it triggers what they call the happiness trifecta, like the oxytocins, the dopamine, the serotonin. All these things are released within your body that serve to elevate your overall feelings of happiness within yourself. So God is generous. You are made in the image of generosity. And when you step into the image by being generous, there is this particular experience that you will have physically and chemically within your body that will let you know that you are doing the right thing, which is actually aligning yourself with who you were created to be. That's interesting. This past Monday, um, we went down to the neighbors and we uh, took the kids and we had this pumpkin uh, carving party. So there was like three or four families, and then uh, it was like, like 10 kids or something. Like, so there's like 10 kids with 10 pumpkins, um, which means there was like a giant, giant mess. <laughs> like uh, pumpkin juice, pumpkin guts everywhere, pumpkin seeds everywhere. Uh, and of course, you know, when you're, when, you're doing the, when you're cleaning the guts out, you know what I'm saying, it's like, it's a bit slimy and a bit sticky and a bit messy, and when you have 10 kids doing it, oh my gosh, it's a real mess. Uh, and so we were sitting there, and, and um, Elias's pumpkin, uh, his was rotten on the inside already, so it was, it was so gross. It was even double gross. He didn't want to have anything to do with it, so it became dad's pumpkin carving party. So, uh, so we were going through all this, and I was giving the neighbor a hard time. I was like, dude, this is a, this is a mess. Like, He's like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. We'll just hose everything off, hose down the tables, you know, it'll, it'll be fine. And I go, yeah, bro, but look at the amount of seeds everywhere. This is like 10, and these were, these were big pumpkins. I'm like, you're, gonna, you're like starting the pumpkin patch for next year. You're gonna blow these off to the yard, it's just gonna be pumpkin vines everywhere. Um, you know, so I was like, well, maybe, you'll, maybe next year we'll just buy from you because you're ahead of the game. Uh, so we continue to do all this stuff, and the kids, you know, they, they start scooping and scraping, and they're kind of oohing and on over the sliminess of everything. And then there was this big trash can in the middle of, of all of us that we just kept throwing all this gunk and slop into. And as they're ooing and aahing and, you know, freaking out and slinging pumpkin guts on people, um, it became this huge mess. And in the middle of that mess, something like triggered in my brain as I'm like tossing all of this into trash cans and stuff. And I, like I started to see something else where 
I could just see a giant, slimy, stinky mess, and oh my gosh, there's going to be flies and rotten pumpkins in a day anyways. So this little light bulb went on, and I thought, you know what? God gives things that gives things. And all these seeds that I'm joking about that are going to end up in the yard have the potential to create more plants. And so within each and every one of these single little slimy seeds, there is like the DNA, the blueprint for a new life. I can't even grab it. There's a DNA in the blueprint for new life to create a whole new plant that will create more pumpkins, that will create more seeds, that will create more pumpkins, that will create more seeds. And so all of a sudden, my perspective looking at this trash can of gunk went from, oh my dear goodness, what a crazy mess. I'm glad this is at your house, not mine. To, oh my dear goodness, what an incredible blessing and what an incredible reminder that what sometimes we see as mess is actually all speaking to the generous nature of who God is. He gives things that gives things. His divine nature can be seen and understood from what has been made. Even in the mess of the pumpkin, you can see the generous God everywhere. The universe is not hostile. God is not going to give you a snake. His goodness, his generosity is all around us always. And that, my friends, should give us something to smile about. That should give us something happy to think about, to give us, to cause us to think, oh, happy thoughts. That's pretty good, isn't it? He looks happy, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to try to carve the Mona Lisa while I'm talking to you. Come on, give me some, give me a break. It's everywhere. It's all around us, the whole thing. The nature of God can be clearly seen and understood from what has been made. Here's the thing, if everything we've talked about today isn't like good enough or doesn't cause you to at least have other thoughts that may cause you to think happy thoughts or doesn't cause you to see the generous nature of who God is, if all this isn't enough, there is this like one other thing that in like the most supreme act of generosity, God does this thing where God gifts himself to us where God gifts himself to us in the form of his son, Jesus. And this Jesus shows up into our world and he lives among us and he walked among us and he sat around campfires with us and he ate meals with us and he healed us and he saw all of our faults and our flaws and he still continued to love us so much so that he was able to give his life for us us. John 15, 12 says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You see, God gave himself to us 
so that he could give himself for us. There is no greater love. There is no greater act of generosity than this. And what's incredible is that each and every week we get to gather here as a body, as a collective group of people, and we gather around this table and we get to share this meal. And the entire purpose of sharing the meal is that we get to celebrate and remember this act of generosity. We get to celebrate and remember that God has gifted himself to us so that he could give himself for us. And so we take this time and we take this little bread and we take this little juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, that which was given freely to us because God is a generous God. We're reminded of how he came to show us how to live, how he taught us how to love. We're reminded that God gifting himself to us resulted in him being beat and spit upon and nailed to a cross. That he suffered in order to reveal the depth of love that he has for you. My friends, we do not live in a hostile universe. We live in a generous and benevolent universe because God is a generous God. From the very beginning of the story of creation all the way through the cross, you see this generosity. From the very beginning of the universe to our present reality, even this week as you've been carving pumpkins and on into forever, there is nothing less than this extreme love and generosity. So we want to take a few moments now to remember, to celebrate the loving and generous God who sent his son to save the world. We ask that you stay where you are. We ask that for this moment, you just put your mask on real quick so that the ushers, as they come by, can serve you. You take the bread and the juice that's in one cup. You take that. We ask that you use this time to reflect, to celebrate, to remember, to pray, to commune. To think deeply about how so very blessed we are for the love of a generous God. <laughs>